The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I'm Roseanne Powell, and I'm going to read Revelations 1, 1 through 2. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. You ready to talk about Revelation today? Three of you. Perfect. Um, Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Um, For those of you that um, that haven't asked me yet and you're wondering... um, how my wife is doing. Uh, She had surgery on Thursday. She is in minimal pain and tires easy. That's what she told me to say. Minimal pain and tires easy. So um, this surgery has been a a lot different, in fact, than the one that she had back in December. Um, We've been able to actually go out and walk around our neighborhood a little bit. So it's been really, it's been really good to get her back kind of into a normal routine. Um, I know she wanted to be here today, so she'll be here over the next couple weeks. We would love for you to continue to pray for us. Um, If you have brought food to us, thank you, um, and stop. Uh, We have, seriously, we have so much food in our house. There's going to be a, um, there's going to be a meal train, I think, later in the week. Um, For those of you that that are in on that, if that's something that you want to be a part of, just contact the church office on Tuesday, and we'll make sure you get into that loop. But we have, we have so much food and Stop bringing it because it's, um, it's really good though. Um, well, I'm excited to talk about the book of Revelation. My first experience with the book of Revelation is when I was, um, when I was growing up at First Presbyterian Church in Peachtree City, Georgia. We would go to church on Sunday morning and when I was bored, I would do one of two things on Sunday mornings. I would turn to the hymn, Rock of Ages, and I would try and figure out why the, why the words from the Def Leppard song, Rock of Ages, did not match that hymn. Like, it couldn't make any sense to me. Um, And then the second thing that I would do is I would read through the book of Revelation. And I remember remember hearing as an 80s kid, I remember hearing that the Russian word for wormwood from Revelation 8, maybe some of you know this, I remember hearing that the Russian word for wormwood was Chernobyl. Chernobyl right? The nuclear power plant that melted down. Um, And I thought that was so cool. And it's just not true. So if you have, if you have heard that and you have believed that for three decades, um, I love you. And it's just not true. Um, There are lots of things that we believe that we have heard about the book of Revelation that aren't true. And what, what we're going to be doing as we talk through this series is just, just reading the Bible to see what the Bible says. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the, over the last 30 years since I've been reading the book of Revelation is the identity of the Antichrist has changed a number of times. I don't know if you've noticed that. As, again, as a child of the 80s, I remember hearing that Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist. Why? Because he had that birthmark on his head, right? So that sure, that had to be the mark of the beast. And then bringing that a little, a little more current, right? Um, Barack Hussein Obama was the, was, the, was the Antichrist because he had 18 letters in his name. 
Well, he has six in the first, seven in his middle, and only five in his last name. So obviously he's disqualified as the, um, as the Antichrist. One of the things that I've noticed, noticed about people and the book of Revelation is they tend to obsess on it. They seem like people who are into conspiracy theories, right? We have this image, if you've ever watched a, if you've ever watched a crime drama, there's always this, this wall where there's all of these charts and these strings and everyone's trying to bring all of this information um, together. And I think the problem is because we've read so many things about Revelation and we've heard so many things about Revelation and the end times, um, we haven't actually spent time reading what the book itself says. So we bring all of these assumptions that we have of what we think the book is about. We bring all of these presuppositions with us of what we think the book is about and our minds get clouded and they get confused. And these assumptions that we have, these presuppositions, they, they force us to ask a set of questions. Questions like, when is the rapture? Questions like, who is the Antichrist? Which is really strange because the phrase or the word Antichrist isn't actually in the book. So we are forced to ask these questions. And I can see by the look on some of your faces, like you didn't know that. Right, because, because we haven't read the book. We haven't entered in and engaged the book. One of the things that we start to do is we look at the book of Revelation like it's this chronological roadmap. That if we can just figure it out, we'll know the future. And the question that we have to ask is, what if we're asking the wrong questions? See, when we take any book of the Bible out of its context... We can have it say whatever we want it to say. We can have it say whatever we want it to say. Anyone could be the Antichrist. Well, for the next eight weeks, we're gonna spend time talking about the book of Revelation. We are not gonna read it line by line. What I would encourage you to do is to do some work. Um, this week, we're talking about uh, Revelation 1, verses 1 through 8. And then next week, we're going to talk about Revelation 1, 9 through the end of uh, chapter 2. I want you to do some work. If you're, if you're a uh, YouVersion person, you have the Bible app on your phone. Um, you can go into there. And when you're reading, if you have a question about something that you read, we want you to, um, we want you to let us know. We've made it really easy for you to ask questions. Um, we may not be able to answer every question, but we're going to try. So what we want you to do is read the text for each week before we, before we read it together and before we talk about it together and ask questions. Um, one of the things that, that we do here often when we introduce a new book of the Bible is we talk about more of, of what it's not than what it is. And again, that's, that's really intentional because, because we bring assumptions and we think we know what a book is about. And... What I don't know. I think this is just part of this my sinful nature. Um, like I just like smashing those assumptions that we have, so we can so we can properly be ready to interact with the text itself. So so here's the first thing that the Book of Revelation is not. The Book of Revelation is not linear, and here's what that means. It's not an order. 
The way that we think in the West is we think things are orderly. Like we like a story to start at the beginning and end at the end. We like when movies come out, we like them to start at the beginning and end at the end. But that's not how Revelation is written. It can't be. Um, so again, if you're in the YouVersion app, you'll see, you'll see this scripture. But I'm just going to read. Um, this is Revelation 6, verses 12 to 14. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Okay, that's in chapter six. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie like a disaster movie, but if every star in the sky hit the earth like figs falling out of a tree, can we agree that the earth is gone at that point? Like it's game over for the world? Well, that's before the bowls and that's before the trumpets. So if, if revelation is linear, if revelation is chronological, if revelation is in order, like We're only in chapter six. What's going on in this book? And this is a question that we need to wrestle with. And if you're looking at the book of Revelation like it's a roadmap, what do you do with an earth that gets destroyed not even halfway through the book? When there's more to the story, this is something we're gonna be talking about over the next few weeks. So the book of Revelation is not linear. It's also not the future. We're going to talk about this at the end today, but the book of Revelation is written to a specific people in a specific time in a specific place. It's written to the seven churches of Asia. We talk about this all the time. It's not to us, but it's for us. And that's really crucial when we read a book of the Bible. We need to understand that it's not written to us. Revelation is not written to us, but it's written for us. And see, this is why, because it's to us and not for us, this is why the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. It's not a precursor to the mark of the beast. I'm deliberately being offensive. Because we need to understand what this Bible, what this book is. It's not the mark of the beast. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. It can't be. And also... The locusts in the book, they're not Apache helicopters, okay? This book was written to a specific time in a specific place. And I would challenge you, like, if you're so concerned about the government being in your business, turn off your phone, okay? Because they know where you are. I don't know if you knew that. The moment you turn your phone on, like, everyone knows where you are. So we have to understand what, what this book is. So if it's not linear and it's not the future, what is it? Let's read Revelation 1, verses 1 to 8 together. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all those who listen to his message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So here's, here's what the book of Revelation is. Revelation is an apocalyptic and prophetic letter written to the church, calling them to patiently, hopefully, to patiently hopeful endurance in the midst of suffering and persecution as they await the return of Christ in judgment and salvation. I want to say that again because I stumbled over my words. Revelation is an apocalyptic and prophetic letter written to the church, calling them to patiently hopeful endurance in the midst of suffering and persecution as they await the return of Christ in judgment and salvation. So let's talk about three things today. Revelation is apocalyptic. Like that word immediately conjures up all kinds of things for us, right? We think of the walking dead. We think of Mad Max, Fury Road. Like we think of all of these things when we hear the word apocalyptic. I, I saw it the other day. Apparently there was, a, there was a large volcanic eruption in Africa the other day. And it said that, that the, um, the scene was apocalyptic. And I was like, ooh, that sounds, that sounds scary. What does apocalyptic mean? Well, apocalypse is a type of Jewish literature that's filled with symbolic visions that reveal a heavenly perspective in light of its final outcome. Okay? So when we're reading the book of Revelation and we see all of these things, this is a, this is a type of literature that the people of this day would have been familiar with relying heavily on the visions and symbols of the Old Testament to reveal the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. What does that mean? Like if you read through Daniel and you read through Ezekiel and then you read through the book of Revelation, you're gonna, you're gonna start to see a lot of these beasts and a lot of these creatures sound very familiar. Because the language that, that John is using when he writes this book with the guidance and the vision and the direction of the Holy Spirit, is he's using visions, he's using imagery that the people would be familiar with. It's just like today, when I said the walking dead, many of you knew what I was talking about without me having to explain it. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay, you're not missing anything. That show stopped being interesting about seven seasons ago. John Walker's like, nope, Okay, so John is using this language 
to describe what he sees. And he's using the language of the people that they would be familiar with to reveal how God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. If you remember, we talked about that several months ago in our How the Bible Works series. Genesis chapter 12, God goes to Abraham and says, I'm gonna make you into a nation with many people. He repeats that in Genesis 17. And then we're gonna get to this in a few weeks. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, we see that be fulfilled. The word apocalypse simply means revealing or unveiling. It pulls back the curtain on reality. So when we're reading the book of Revelation, we're we're getting this picture, we're getting this window into reality. This is what Paul gets at in Ephesians chapter six. He says, our enemies, not flesh and blood, but the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Are you following along with me here? Like there's a deeper reality that's taking place. There's a deeper truth that's taking place. Like we think when we, when we get into our, our arguments about things, we think the enemy is other people. Paul says it's actually unseen powers of the spirit world. And in part, when we read through the book of Revelation, we're, we're seeing that battle take place. Revelation allows us to see what's behind the scenes. There are two stories in particular that we find in Revelation that are in parts of other, in other parts of the Bible. Did you know that, um, that we can read about Jesus's birth in the book of Revelation? Did you know that we can read about Jesus's death on the cross in the book of Revelation? This revelation of transcendent realities is oftentimes communicated by otherworldly beings, right? So we read angels and all of these beasts and what, what Jesus is trying to do through John is he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to teach us something and the only way that he can do that is by doing something flashy to draw attention to it because we can become really bored with the Bible. We can become really bored with scripture. We can become really bored. We have a tendency to become bored with what God is doing. What John is doing is he's trying to wake people up to help them see all of these things, to engage all of their senses trying to help them see reality. Because once they see what's really going, like what would it be like for you to see what was really going on? The next time you went to, to engage someone in an argument over a different political view, like I would think you might be tempted to love them rather than judge them. If we knew what was really going on. But it's only when we know these realities can the Bible be prophetic to us. So what does it mean prophetic? In many cultures, the word prophet conjures up images of fortune tellers and future predictors, right? When, someone, when we hear someone's a prophet, isn't that what we think of? Someone's gonna tell us the future, but here's, here's the thing, that's not really what happens in the Bible. Sometimes it happens, but rarely Prophets do really three things. They're people who had a radical encounter with God and they were, they were sent to do three things. I'm just throwing a lot of things at you today because you didn't think we were gonna, you thought we were gonna talk about the vaccine. 
So we gotta remember, we gotta know what the Bible is. We have to know what revelation is. So prophets were sent to do three things. The first thing was to remind Israel of its role. So a prophet would show up in ancient Israel and he would remind them of their role in three ways, through accusation. This is what you're doing. Can't you see what you're doing is wrong? They would call them to repentance or she, there were female prophets, would call them to repentance. And then they would announce the consequences of breaking God's law. So prophets in the Bible would do three, would accuse, call to repent and announce the consequences. And get this, those consequences were often called the day of the Lord. See, that's why when we read the book, that's why when we read the prophets, it says things like, you shouldn't be too excited about the day of the Lord. Like it's good that he's coming, but when this happens, because of your lack of repentance, like this is gonna be judgment on you. So announce, remind Israel of its role to communicate how the events of their day fit into God's story. See, and if you're familiar with Revelation right now, like I've been reading Revelation a lot over the last month and a half. So as I'm, as I'm, I'm studying and I'm reading, like I'm just having all of these different chapters and verses like pop into my head from the book of Revelation about God reminding the people of their role, communicating how the events of their day fit into God's story. Man, don't we need to hear that? Doesn't the church need to hear how we fit into God's story? And here's the last thing, to communicate the cosmic meaning of Israel's history. And I think the prophets do this best when they say things like, it's not about you. There is so much more the prophets say. The book of Revelation says there's so much more than just what we see. Do you see how these things all start to come together? Like we're eight verses in. As an apocalyptic and prophetic letter, we ought to be asking questions like, who is God? What is this book telling me about who God is? What does God desire, demand of me? What have the people done wrong? What have they done well? And if you know the letters, which we're gonna read next week, you know that in the letters, Jesus tells the churches, these are the things you're doing good. There's not a lot of those. And these are the things that you are doing terrible at. When are you gonna wake up? Is the call to repentance, is the call to stand firm? And see, these aren't usually the kinds of questions we're asking about the book of Revelation, are they? Aren't we far more interested in reading a chapter from the book of Revelation and then immediately logging in to whatever news we follow to see how, how the news of the day lines up with the book. When we're reading this book, if we, if we ask the wrong questions, we're gonna get the wrong answers. We'll always get the wrong answers. And I would, I would say that Revelation is often answering the questions that we are not asking, which is why it's so confusing which is why it's so hard for us to understand. 
See, as an apocalyptic and prophetic letter, I love what Becky said. She almost had something out of my notes, which is why I told her she could say it because it wasn't the exact same thing. We ought to be asking the question, how is this book, how is Revelation providing comfort, courage, and challenge to those churches? Instead of flipping it back on us, which again is like so often how we read Revelation. Instead of flipping it back on us, we need to talk about how it affected them first. One of the very first rules, and we're going to talk more about this as well. One of the very first rules of biblical interpretation is that it can't mean something to us that it doesn't mean for them first. So when we're reading these letters, we have to ask, how is this comforting them? How is this challenging them? How is this providing courage to them first? And when we don't do that, what we do is we, we look back on thousands of years of church history. We look back to the early church and we say, you know what? Their situation just doesn't matter to me. I don't care what they went through. I don't want to know anything about it. That's not what the Bible is calling us to do. They wouldn't have been thrown off by all the imagery because it was their language, because it was to them. And again, like this is why we're confused by it. Because for many of us, if we don't know the New Testament, we certainly don't know the Old Testament. Like if you want to be confused, read like the last six chapters of Daniel. And you'll wonder what in the world is going on. Read through the book of Ezekiel. But if we're not familiar with those, we're never going to figure out what's happening in Revelation. So Revelation is apocalyptic. Revelation is prophetic. And Revelation is a letter. From Jesus through John. Which then we ought to ask the question, right? Who's John? Most Theologians most believe it was the Apostle John, although there's some, there's some questions about that, but most theologians believe it's the Apostle John written in the mid-90s and not the 1990s, which is like 30 years ago or 20 years ago, but written in the 90s. So he was, he was the last apostle to die. So John, it's likely the Apostle John was the one that wrote the letter it's said that the Roman emperor uh, Domitian commanded that the apostle John be boiled to death in hot oil. This is church tradition. So he's in Rome. By this point in church history, all of the apostles are dead. John's still alive. And the Roman emperor is like, we're going to put that dude in a, vat of oil, in a vat of boiling oil. So they throw him in the oil. And all he does is preach the gospel. Literally like, they see his hands on the top of the pot and pulls himself. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? Pulls himself out of the oil and just preaches. So what do you do with a guy you can't kill? You banish him to an island. So he's on the Greek island of Patmos. And while he's there, he has a series of visions. I want to read again. If you have your Bible Verse four, chapter one. 
This letter is from John to who? Oh, you got to do better than that. This letter is from John to who? The seven churches. So, who's it not to? You're getting it. Right? It's not to us. We are, we're reading someone else's mail. Dennis, is that still a felony? Okay, still a felony. Right? We are reading someone else's mail. Again, this does not mean, do not hear me say that this has nothing for us. Because it does. It's just not to us. And we know that because John said, Jesus said, through John, it's to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Again, it can't mean to us what it didn't first mean to them. So when we are, when we read his letter to Thyatira next week, the woman that John writes about is not Hillary Clinton. Okay, it's not. And I wanna just encourage you Encourage you, encourage you, encourage you to reset your thinking on this book. And the sooner you do that, the better it's gonna go for you as you read this text. One of the things that, that we've talked about maybe once or twice before, there's a theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann and he, he talks about three things. He talks about orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Okay? We all have an orientation. We all think we know what the book of Revelation is about. That's our understanding of the text. And here's, here's what I'm going at hard at you today. I'm trying to disorient you. Right? I'm trying to disorient you. Because I want to challenge, and it's not me, it's, it's this book. It's this letter. And then there's reorientation. So, so after we've been disoriented, we come to a new understanding of what the text or, or what something in life is about. And we do this all the time. Like, as a person who has fixed his car in the past, I think I know what's wrong with my car. That's called my orientation. And then I start digging in. I find out, well, no, really, that wasn't the problem. This is my problem. That's my disorientation. Well, now what am I going to do? Right, I have to go back to AutoZone 45 times because I'm, I need the different part. And then I reorient. I know what's really wrong with my car. Why these seven churches? Well, they were on a mail route, a circular mail route. Isn't that crazy? Like, isn't it amazing? Like when we just, like, just dig in a minute and we understand what's going on here, we're just on a mail route. And the letters just follow the circuit. To this church, 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 and that one more, seven. They just go around. The Roman Empire in AD 95, Jesus obviously had not returned yet, and there was a lot of pressure on Christians to join the culture around them. Does that sound familiar? See, this is where we can start seeing how the letter's not to us, but it's for us. In our culture, there's a lot of pressure on Christians to join the prevailing culture. 
There was an emperor worship cult at the Roman Empire at this time of history. Uh, Domitian, the emperor, was actually called Lord and God. And those who refused to worship Lord and God face the wrath of the people. Does that sound familiar? How people hate us for what we believe as Christians, we face their wrath. And this context and these realities ought to guide the way that we read and approach this book. What's their situation? What's happening in their churches? They were not asking when the world is going to end. My guess is, as a church, that that thought never came up. When is the rapture going to happen? They weren't asking those questions. And I would submit to you that neither should we. When we read Revelation, we need to ask a different set of questions. Because when we ask the wrong question, we'll get an answer, but it's often the wrong answer. And as an apocalyptic and prophetic letter, the purpose of Revelation is to provide those churches comfort, courage, and challenge in the midst of the spiritual realities of their day. Everything we read in this is providing those things to those churches. And we ought to ask how, we ought to ask why. And what are they hoping in? The ultimate arrival of Christ. That's their hope. And when we read through, like I've already read, um, Becky said this, I've already read the end of the book. So I know how this whole thing works out. So if there are times where, where I seem just like unanxious about the current realities of the world, well, I just read the end. I don't know how it's all gonna happen. Revelation paints a little picture for us. Reveals a few things. That's why it's called Revelation. But we know how we know how this ends. What would it be like if we had the same hope that they did? Beyond a correct reading of the book, we're looking for a faithful reading. That's what I want to call you to over the next eight weeks is a faithful reading of the book. This vision. That, that, that John is communicating to us is aimed at transformation, not information. And this is so much of everything that we've talked about for so many years and, and you have talked about for, for more, than four, more than four years is transformation. This book is out to transform us. I recently read an interview uh, with William Shatner you know who's, who knows who William Shatner is? Good, that's a good one. William Shatner. He's 90, in case you didn't know. At the end of the interview, he's asked about death. This in part was his answer. Take it easy. Nothing matters in the end. What goes up must come down. As I read, read that, I just thought, that is so mind-bogglingly Sad, frustrating, and hopeless. That nothing matters in the end? Like, do we really believe that? That nothing matters? So, man, all of the great evils and wickedness throughout the time that man has been on this planet, like there's no judgment for that? 
There's no punishment for that. More importantly, there's no hope in that. See, life does have meaning, life does have purpose. And what, what apocalypse, what the book of Revelation is telling us is that things are not what they seem. There is more. And that's how we're gonna spend our time in the next eight weeks. Is talking about that more. What's really happening around us? What aren't we seeing? And how can we have hope in the midst of life? Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. I pray that as we read and study your word, we continue to read and study your word, that we would see the hope that's found in Jesus. that we would place our trust in him alone. Not in in whether or not we can figure out what's gonna happen next, but that we would learn to trust in you. Because revelation is ultimately a revelation of you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.